Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. I'm back, Paul Arnold, along with Ernest Watts. We are we're saving up the best nuggets of our wisdom of sports and entertainment knowledge to give you twice a month at these days during the summer uh, podcast and hope that you're enjoying them. And Ernest, I know you enjoyed your pool this summer and kids are starting to go back to school. Do you see that summer is almost ending? Is there any redeeming hope for you? Yeah, the, 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 no, I mean, the humidity, the only thing is football, which we got our first full week of watching a lot of guys will be playing for the XFL and USFL next year, our first weekend of football. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not as humid. I could tell it gotten a lot of cooler over the weekend. I could tell a weather change. And I know the community, the colleges open up this week. Mm. So that's, that's the slow change in turn, so to speak. I get depressed. This is like after Christmas. I really get depressed. Football is the only thing that keeps me going in that respect. And, and I think we're two weeks from college kickoff. And speaking, yes, speaking yes. of a college football, did you see what happened today? The college football playoff board of governors, which is one representative of each of the 10 conferences and the president of Notre Dame, met to to discuss a way of pulling college football away from the NCAA. Oh, that's been coming for a while. Yeah, yeah. but this is the first time they actually discussed it in the open for everybody. And one of the main reasons they claim is because the NCAA has been dragging the feet on uh, boosting the playoff to 12 teams. And there's two more years left in the current contract with the college football playoff. But if they pull away from the NCAA, they can go to a 12-team playoff, which means they— More money, buddy. Yeah, they think they're leaving a billion dollars on the table every year. Filthy lucre. Of course. Three minutes into this podcast, we're back to that Is that a record? Is that a record for me bringing I don't know. As podcast listeners know, there's a biblical term for love of money, filthy lucre. So— well, this isn't news, you know, like the NCAA is like a toothless lion, you know, it's just hanging around, but it has no power left anymore. The power is in the... like the old League of Nations before World War One. Is that the, the analogy or the, or uh, Congress? <laughs> that's right an now. old, Congress that's right pretty now. old. Like yeah. Con- like Congress right now. Okay. It's pretty toothless um, and doesn't do a lot and does nothing more than pocket. No, I'm getting political there. Let's end that real fast. Like it's almost like Miguel Cabrera right now for the Tigers. He's just fat a shell and lazy, of what he used to shell, be. Fat and lazy. No, he's not fat and lazy. He just is back and everything else. He can't reach the ball on the outside corner, and he's he's not driving with his legs anymore because he can't do it. But he hinted that he might want to retire, and then he took that right back because his agent said, uh, "You're making thirty plus million a year, and you can come back and still make it next year, even if you try." Yeah, so, hey, don't so, be stupid here. So it's more like Pujols. We thought it. Yes. We thought it went away already, but he's still here for some reason. That's the NCAA. That's yeah. the analogy we give Albert Pujols. Yeah, back to the NCAA. Yeah, so football season is coming, and um, you know, football coaches are so predictable about you know how they try to cover their tracks and like um, they try to make nice with other coaches until they actually play them, trying to get their players focused. Um, you know, they put out the top 10 for this year and then Alabama's number one and Nick Saban says, oh, last year was a rebuilding year. Do you buy that, Ernest? 
No, it's reloading. He's got the he's got the first two letters right. It's reloading, not rebuilding. I mean, if you finish in the top ten, you don't rebuild. That ain't a rebuilding <laughs> year from top ten. There are teams that have never been in the top ten. So have they been on a permanent rebuilding mood in that respect? No. He if you're at Alabama and you're at Texas A&M, you're in Georgia. And you're at Ohio State and in Michigan, you know you don't have reload. We don't have rebuilding years. You don't in that respect. Prediction: Nick Saban will he be coaching five years from now? Five years? Yeah. I don't know if NIL really worries him to death. I, I, he's. I don't see a successor. That's the thing. I know. He's a guy's build a successor. I see him continuing to coach. You know, to what eighty years old? I mean, he's already like sixty-nine. Yeah, I, I mean, he's, you know, I don't see him riding his boat around his his lake house in Georgia. Uh, I think he enjoys it. I think he likes creating problems. I think he liked tweaking Texas A and M and Jackson State earlier in the season. I yeah, he likes being an agent provocateur. I think he had to. He had to. Go away and you know, kind of look at those two years at Miami with the Dolphins, and I think he's he's enjoying it too much. Plus, well, he Steve's... gets all those free little Debbie cakes all the time. Oh, <laughs> and Steve Spurrier, if any other coach enjoyed provoking or making provocative statements more than Nick Saban, it had to be the old ball coach Steve Spurrier. Yeah, but you know, Spurrier wasn't a stay till the lights went off. This is my entire life. No, he said, I, I have too much time to play golf. I don't want to be yeah. coach anymore. Yeah, he, he played golf in Georgia. He wasn't a, a, a gym rat, so to speak, like Saban is, who's there from, from sunup to, to midnight and everything. So that's, you know, Spurrier had better intentions in life and things. I could see why it didn't hit him that much. Yeah. Well, so the top 10 came out. No big surprises, I felt, in the top 10. Um, it's just the, the big question mark is with the name and image likeness money, where is it, we're still in the wild, wild west here. You know? So how much are players getting? Are they going to start distributing it to their buddies? Probably not. I mean, is this truly going to affect college football, or are we making too much about Something we can't control. It's 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 going to. I mean, it's just basic. It already has to a certain extent. I mean, it's 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 going to affect it. You look at teams that are powerful now. Miami is making a big rush. They're my surprise team. It's Miami Hurricanes. And well, you think Cristobal can do it in one year? Yeah, he's, he just got there. I will. He's got a. Number one draft quarterback in Van Dyke. Uh, they got some good tight ends. They've got a beast of a defense. I think they're my, they're my surprise team, and Notre Dame is my team that I think did not deserve to be in the top ten. That's that's mm. my two teams. What What's yours? Well, this isn't a total surprise, but Kentucky uh, with Stoops has just always been knocking on the door, and I think this year I think they'll continue to grow on that. Um, I hate to say it, but I think Ohio State will come back with a vengeance this year. Um, Michigan has a pretty easy schedule, except for um, playing uh, Michigan State at home and then um, Penn State away and then Ohio State down in Ohio State, which worries me. But um, 
I'm just glad college football is back. Up here, we have a certain rules about going to college games that Michigan Stadium is a bowl into the ground, so the wind's not too warm. Uh, it's not too, the wind doesn't cool it down so much. And I've been to games there in early September where it's been 100 plus down in the bowl. And so you just don't go to the games early on because they're blowouts, but they're the cheapest tickets too. So uh, you could walk up to the gate on like the first game, even though there's 100,000 people there, and still get a ticket for 20 bucks, like five minutes before the game starts if you play it right. So, I mean, I'm excited about going back. I'll probably wait a while till it gets a little cooler. I like a little nip in the air when I go to a football game. Um, and some of the greatest games I went to um, for college were with you and your son and some groups from the church. One year we went to Duke just because that was a cool setting, walking through Duke's campus. And the other one was going to um, Chapel Hill. And we our church got tickets so we could always see the Duke versus North Carolina game. And... Uh, both of those were really fun. I think partly because our kids were younger and um, you had room to sit down and really enjoy it. So what would you say your top three uh, college football experiences have been? Oh, wow. My top three. You said surprise you in this podcast. I'm, yeah, I'm I saw a Clemson State game back uh, in... Clemson versus NC State. Yeah, that was good. Uh, saw Carolina in Texas. That was the Vince Young Texas team. That was back Brown's return to Carolina. Oh, they probably wiped out Tar Heels. They did. <laughs> <laughs> saw, uh, let's see, I also saw Notre Dame at Carolina. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was another wipeout. But that was an enjoyable experience. I mean, Notre Dame is the only national team in that respect. And uh, saw South Carolina, North Carolina. Enjoyed that in that respect. Those are those are the ones. I mean, that's I've Duke Stadium is uniquely different. I got one more, but unique, Duke Stadium is unique because that's the only other location where the Rose Bowl was. In 1941, they held the Rose Bowl there because that was three weeks after. Pearl Harbor, and they thought the West Coast was vulnerable to a Japanese attack, so they didn't want a large gathering of people. But uh, Syracuse and Carolina, which was Donovan McNabb's first game as a freshman, and I knew the quarterback for Carolina because he was from Richmond County, and the wide receiver was Marvin Harrison. And I didn't know that much about both of them, and they reputable all pros in the NFL later on. It was a night game. It was very enjoyable in that respect. So that's the ones I've enjoyed. Carolina is a very, very you know, it's just there's a rule the stadium can't be higher than the pine trees around it. And it's in a little valley. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Yeah, it's like one third the size of, of Michigan's. But it's a nice little, Duke's was built in the 20s. Actually, it might have been part of the WPA project, and it's a horseshoe. Uh, NC State, I've been to Carolina State game, which was enjoyable at NC State. Uh, it's been built up a little bit. It's your traditional 60s stadium. And, and Wake Forest, which has turf, uh, owns a couple games there. It's, again, two sides. East, East Carolina have been to games there. So I've been to every stadium of the major schools in North Carolina. 
But I guess my favorite game really was the NC State Carolina game. That was mm-hmm. a very close game. So I enjoyed that. Well, some of our listeners know that Ernest was a football announcer, broadcaster in Richmond County, North Carolina, for many years. And he allowed me to do it for about three years or two or three years. I can't remember. But I started to think of that today because somebody says, oh, I'm going down to visit my uh, dad down in New Bern, North Carolina. I said, oh, New Bern Bears. He goes, how'd you know that? <laughs> I said, because I used to brought, we, we broadcast a game. A game. Yeah, it was North, Richmond County versus New Bern Bears, and I think Richmond got the best of it that day. Yes, yes, and they have bears all around the town. I just went through New Bern, went on to the beach for a vacation, and the town New Bern has these bear statues all over town, and you have to spot them. They have like a visitors get a little chart with to check off where all the bears are in town. Right. That's a my, funny story. That's my Chamber of Commerce for New Bern story. There it is. A quick sideline here is that, and we'll put it down for posterity in case my son didn't know the story already. So I was a brand new announcer. I was selected because hopefully they could understand what I was saying, they said. And Ernest and I had a good repertoire, as you can tell in this podcast. And so Ernest is doing play-by-play. I'm supposed to be doing color. And we get in this booth. And so I was taught by a voice teacher that you should pronounce your words and you know, get them out of your mouth and spit them out a little bit, and they'll come out clear. And so I was doing that, I was into it, and the booth right next to us was the FM station, and they started complaining to the cable director that I was too loud, and people were listening on the radio to the game, and they could hear my voice (laughs) carrying over to the FM signal of what they were sending out, and they were not pleased about it. So I came in and put some um, plexiglass between the two to try to lessen it, but I realized later that um, I was over-modulating, I'll just put it that way. Then the next year, they got a guy who was really a professional to do the play-by-play and Ernest did color, and I was sideline announcer. And um, as a tribute to my dad, I wore this um, old-fashioned like um, cap that old golf caddies used to wear, and just, you know, a different thing. And I'd be on the sidelines, and the, my one moment where I got yelled at the most is that this one player got injured. I went over to the bench. I was talking to the trainer. And I came back, and they cut it to me, and I said, oh, player Smith-Jones is doing just fine. But first they were worried about internal injuries. But back to you, Ernest. And (laughs) and they said, don't use the words internal injuries on this podcast. We don't want any parents worried about their kids bleeding inside or anything like that. This was was pre-HIPAA, folks. So he wasn't violating any laws. Yeah, no, but it was just, it was a different thing. I throw it down to you, Paul. And I had to do a little uh, announcing down at the field. That was cool. But we've been doing a lot of analysis of football for a long time. Um, Ernest always looks at the uh, line play to see how the game goes. If you had to pick one uh, NFL team that you think has the best line this year, who would you say? used to be the Cowboys, but now I'd have to say Buffalo. Yeah, the Bills. The Bills have a pretty good. Kansas City's got in some new guys. They've got some problems. Uh, Tampa Bay lost two of their starters. So I'm going to go with Buffalo. I think they have the best Ooh. offensive line. It's a team to look out for. I mean, there's, you know, they're, they're trying to, that's it. It's, it, it's, Line play is like defensive backs. The the 
whole is greater than the individual parts because you have to operate as a team. You could put four out, all, five out all pros out there to block. And if they're not in sequence and they're not working together as a unit, they're going to get blown apart. Whereas you could get five average guys who have worked together and have a feel for each other, and they would be vastly superior. Even if the backs are the same way, they have to trust that someone else is going to cover their own zone. They've got to make sure everybody's coordinated and covering the same or if there are you know, two, uh, two safeties high, the corners are going to have uh, enough confidence to release a, deep re- a receiver going deep to the safety. So th- those are the two positions. You know, The others, you don't have to have as much coordination or cohesion. I mean, you can get well, four guys off the street and play defensive end and say, go, go, go I to think the ball. you might have. You might have answered my next question. You know, I, li- I live up near Detroit area, and uh, we're going to go into a Lions game in November. Um, and Lions are rebuilding like everybody else. And you think about what is the easiest and the hardest position to replace in defense. So for Lions right now, they need both uh, offensive line, I mean, defensive line and defensive backs. But then we have a brand new rookie picked in the sixth round who's been on hard knocks, and they're promoting him as probably be the starter over all these veterans. And so what do, what position do you think is the hardest to, to replace or to upgrade in the defense and which is the easiest? Uh, on defense? Yeah. And linebacker is the hardest to, to integrate. I mean, defensive ends are pretty easy. You can let them go. You look at the guys who have been rookies of the year, the, the uh, uh, Bosa brothers, uh you know, Clowney, those guys who came in as rookies and then just a stand-up defensive end, which is what Hudson was when he was at Michigan. He was pretty much a stand-up. He wasn't – he didn't put a fist down on the ground, which he's doing now. And I've been watching Hard Knocks. Have you had a chance to watch it? I do other? not have HBO, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know that our head coach has a hockey mouth. He he, oh, he lets him fly. Oh, every other word. You know, there used to be a TV show on HBO uh, called uh, – uh, uh, oh, it was an old Western town. What was that? Uh, Tombstone? No, it wasn't Tombstone. It was where uh, Buffalo Bill died. It'll come to me after a while. But one of the characters was a British actor who was known for his profanity in the series. And uh, Dan Campbell hasn't beat because I was <laughs> watching and it's every other word starts with the letter F. I mean, I just I don't know how he can talk in a public setting and, and not let it slip out. I mean, that's just and now his kind of his motivating speeches tend to be Harry High School type of stuff. I mean, you know. It works better as a coordinator than it does a head coach, and I hope he does well. He really does, but uh, I just don't see this lasting. I really don't. You're saying he's too rah rah. Oh my gracious, he is. I mean, he's just, you know. I, and again, I tend to like the the Bill Walshes, the more intellectual, innovating types of coach. I mean, I think when you, that works in college, yeah. I mean, I think he'd be a great college coach, but but. And, you know, and, and I look at golf and I look at Blau and I look at the other quarterbacks and I go, this ain't going to go very well. <laughs> it's entertaining, 
But, but well, your uh, Panthers have plenty of drama down there. We have a whole we, show, but you get your own show. Yeah, we have quarterbacks on edge. It's and we've been fighting with the Patriots the last couple of days. <laughs> I was about to ask you. And, and by the way, well, tell people Baker, why Baker is the starting quarterback. All this mystery about name the starting quarterback. Matt Rule has said no. It's it's Baker. It, they wouldn't go out and get him if they weren't going to start it. him. That's it. That's it. It's it's been Baker. It's always been Baker. They're just trying to increase so they can get some draft picks for Darnold. Uh, when some quarterback goes down the first couple weeks and someone gets desperate like Seattle, uh, it's that's basically their problems in that respect. That's, that's what they're looking for. But So the deal is Christian McCaffrey was doing a second day of scrimmages between the Panthers and the Patriots, and an overactive uh, lineman for the Patriots tackled him hard like going out of bounds, and he took offense of it and threw the football at the guy, and they were shuffling around, and a lady who was watching fell down and hurt her foot, and then they shook hands, and then they walked away. But Christian McCaffrey was saying, yeah, that that's unusual for that to happen. Plus, every Panther fan in the world is going, no, 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 he's been injured so much. At least let him play three games this year. You know the rule and Belichick are doing that whole, uh, oh, we don't want it. They're loving the fighting. They're loving the spirit in there. It's kind of like the Claude Rains and Casablanca going, gambling? Gambling going on here? Here's your winning, sir. I mean, That's it, old-time reference number three, folks. Yes, old-time, yes. A classic Casablanca. <laughs> uh, only 1943 or something, right, that movie? Before World War II. Oh, it was before World War yeah, II. It was yeah. 1939 or 8. Yeah, 1939. But, uh, I mean, they, they, coaches love it when players fight. They just enjoy it. They like the spirit and everything. And uh, Like I said, that's, I, I, hope, I think Baker, if he's recovered from his left uh, labrum injury, I think he'll do all right. What's unusual, you know, staying in that division is the t- Tom – Brady gets 10 days off in the middle of training camp. Yeah, they, they announced his personal reasons, and which makes me wonder about his mom who struggled with cancer so much in the last several years. You think it, What do you think it was? Or maybe Giselle saying, uh, you told me you quit. What is this? <laughs> you going back. You told me you quit. No, no, no. She's She's already on that board, but maybe they had trouble with their kids. I mean, I, I I have to respect well, it that his, they're keeping it his, private. His but oldest it, son is Michelle is uh, the lady on Blue Bloods. That's yeah. her son. So that's, that's yeah. And he's that kid's sixteen, seventeen years old. Yeah, I think he's fairly old in that respect. Do you watch any of the exhibition games? I have. I've watched some of them. Um, watched some of the Lions. Saw some of the Forty ers the other night um, against the Packers. Um, it's been okay. It's I don't know. It's I'm still waiting. If I I want to watch the first half of a preseason game because the second half you're watching guys like you said will probably end up on XFL or um what's the other league again? Uh USFL. USFL. Yeah, duh. Um yeah, so I'm not that interested yet. I will, you know, this is the last weekend that my wife and I are going away on a vacation and we're going to go to the beach and have a good time, and I'm still sort of enjoying baseball, but so that's going to make me transition a little bit to baseball. You ready? Yes, yes. We're not talking about the Tigers, are we? So <laughs> we talk about dramas and shows. So I think the San Diego Padres get the award for the most drama. One week they pick up Juan Soto. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, how did they pull that off? 
And then the next week, uh, Tatis blows it again in a different way. You know, instead of hurting himself on a motorcycle or injuring himself some stupid way, he gets busted for performance-enhanced drugs of some sort. And first he tries to, to explain it away, and then he was told just to shut up. And even his own dad has come out and said, yeah, this isn't a good look for my son. Yeah, ringworm. Do you think San Diego could ever get this together? Ringworm medication, allegedly. Steroids, yeah. ringworm. Because you what does really a guy like him getting ringworm at that? I, Never mind. Sticking his foot in bad water in a pool or something. I don't know. Uh, it seems like, no, three steps back, it really does. And and the kid they got filling in for him, Kim at shortstop, who was the MVP of the K, uh, uh, Korean baseball uh, two years ago, has done a very jo- good job. I mean, they're top of that moving to tease to the outfield and keeping Kim at shortstop. But they picked up Brandon Drury from the Reds, and he's been kind of a surprise. But they're, they're 12 games back. I mean, their only chance they got to get is limping into the playoffs. And remember, this year we got three wildcard teams uh, limping into the playoffs and, and, and trying to pull off some magic with their pitching staff, with, with Musgrove and, and with you uh, Darvish. I mean, maybe they can hope they can get hot in that respect. It's, it's unusual. There's going to be no off days in the playoffs in baseball is the top two teams in each league will get a bye. And the third place team will play the last, the the division, the one division team with the lowest record will play the lowest uh, wildcard team. And then the two other wild card teams will play each other. It'll be three games straight in one stadium. It'll either be in the division, uh, the lower division stadium, or the higher wild card. And, it doesn't and, matter. The Dodgers are going to win. They're just so loaded. Are you loaded. so sure they just lost their best pitcher, Walker Buehler's, out for the year? Uh, they're benching Bellinger. I mean, again, yeah, they got the talent, but they always seem to shoot themselves in the foot in that respect. So you don't think it's Yankees here, even though they've gone through. Well, so in the Boys of Summer podcast that I'm part of, I picked, I picked all chalk. I picked um, Dodgers, Dodgers and Yankees, and have the Dodgers winning it. I just think the Yankees just they get hurt too many times. Do you, um, do you realize the Astros have a better record than the Yankees right now? Right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks to Verlander. Every time I see that guy doing so good, I think of what happened, like the way we were. That old—that's an old reference, number five. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the, there's a movie called The Way We Were. Uh, the Tigers had, you know, this, we always cry in our milk or whatever when we talk about we had a starting lineup, uh, a starting pitching rotation of Verlander, um, Scherzer, Scherzer. Um, we had. There's now, oh, Pusello, who went to the Red Sox and won a Cy Young. Um, Fister was another guy. I'm thinking who's the fifth guy. But we, we were loaded. We were loaded. And then and Miguel was at his peak, but it just you ran into a hot Red Sox team. So you're saying, hey, there's always a chance. Who's going to be the red hot team this year that will yeah, be like the Braves? Remember the Braves at this point last year had a losing record. Uh, who would be hot? Uh, 
The White Sox? Yeah. White Sox. The Cardinals. The White Sox aren't even gonna make the playoffs now. They're Cardinals? out of the uh, Cardinals, pretty good choice. Their pitching kind of worries me a little bit. Of course, picking up Montgomery from the Yankees was a steal for Bader. Uh, that 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 was high larceny. Why the Yankees would give up their number three starter for a center fielder when they got Ben Taney, uh, I couldn't understand that. Uh, you know, a nice young team with a lot of talent, maybe not this year, but in a couple of years, is, is the Guardians. I mean, they, yeah. they've got so, nobody over the – they've only got one guy over the age of 30, and he's leading – he's second in the league in RBIs. That's, that's Martinez, and, and that's that's the team to look out for. So do you think Terry Francona is like one of the top two managers in Major League Baseball still? Because... Now remember, the Cleveland franchise is the team with the longest amount of time since winning a World Series. 48 was the last time they yeah. won a World Series. That would be a nice little story, new name change. You know, come across. I don't think they have the pitching to do it, but I, I like Cleveland and Atlanta have done a great job of integrating young talent and wrapping it up with long-term contracts. The Braves today signed Michael Harris to an eight-year contract. They got a CUNA with an eight-year contract. Uh, Alves has got a, a six-year contract. They've gone and got all the young players and wrapped them up for long-term contracts. And it's, it's really smart in that respect. Uh, you know, the first baseman that he signed a ten-year contract, they've pretty much made themselves after a World Series year younger, and they just brought up a kid for second base who's batting four hundred. And I see a lot of that with with the Guardians. Now, I don't see the Braves winning this year, and I don't see the Guardians winning this year. I like the Astros pitching. They've 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 changed. You look at the Astro team that won the World Series. Yeah, they and have. They only have one player. No trash cans now. No trash cans. We only got two players in the starting lineup that was with that first World Series team. And Altuve. Altuve and uh, uh, the the Bergman. Oh yeah. Everybody else has been brought in by trades or young talent and everything. Well, we haven't even talked about the Mets. Do the Mets have a chance? You know, Degrom always goes down, and gets injured. And look at what Scherzer did last year. He just wore out at the end of the year for the Dodgers. So I, I just don't I don't know. I mean that's that's a team that the the got great pieces on it. Alfonso is a great first baseman. He's second in home runs. Do you realize who the number one uh home run hitter in the uh National League is right now? I know Judge in American. I don't know who's in yeah, the Yeah, Judge, Judge's got, I think Judge's got 47. 40, yeah, 47. 47. Uh, it's the designated hitter for the Phillies, the former Cub outfielder. Former? Or what are... Yeah. Wow. He is leading the National League in, in home runs right now. That's a team that's that's done a pretty good job of getting themselves into the playoffs also, is the Phillies. I, that's a surprise. As long as they got rid of Girardi, you know, then they start and playing they, good, right? It made a big difference, and they've got a pretty good pitching staff. They've, they've got pitching to go. They're a team that matches up very well if they're in the playoffs against the Mets. They they yeah. kind of match them piece for piece. But you never know. Yeah. I mean, it's whoever gets hot. 
hey, fall's a great time for sports, man. All that football, then you get the World Series, all that playoffs going on. And Hockey's starting. We got the hockey, World Cup. and then and after yeah, Thanksgiving before, got the World Cup. Yeah, I know. It's life is good, so you won't miss your pool so much. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> I like floating well, listening to my games. I really enjoy floating and listening to my games. Well, one of the things we enjoy is we also like watching TV and movies and stuff like that. And um, I did see Maverick. I talked about it last time I was on. I have another movie I'm going to talk about today. But Ernest, you got a couple movies to talk about. Yes. Um, let's start with the oldest, and that's Lightyear. Uh, it is Buzz. Buzz was Buzz Lightyear, but it's Lightyear. And it's uh, a different voice. A lot of people made a problem. Yeah. With the, the Chris change. Evans. Chris Evans takes over. Um, I think that's more a political decision because the former voice has become... Tim Allen's been too Republican for people's yeah, choices. Yeah, I think, I think that had a lot. Even no, though, I think Tim Allen's voice was too cartoonish. You know, like Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. They wanted something that sounded more normal. It was a, if you took it away, I mean, it, all the, the associations at the beginning is there's a slide comes up and says, in the year 1992, uh, whatever the little boy was in Toy Story, went to see a movie. Andy, Andy, Andy. went to see this movie, came home, and asked his parents for the doll. If you took the movie and just a straight science fiction, it would be mildly interesting. I mean, it loses the association with Toy Story after that first slide. And there's a huge twist. But it's kind of got a little bit of uh, Thor Ragnarok and a little bit of uh, what was the, the, the movie where, uh, where, uh, oh, uh, where he goes up and uh, where uh, all right, all right, all right. Came oh, Matthew back. McConaughey, where, where he he's up space. in the spot. Yeah, yeah, and he has to yeah. time and space time and all and that. Space. Kind of stuff. Yeah, has take a little bit of both of those, and it was, you know, it's a nice family little movie. It was enjoyable. I mean, it, it, but again, the association with Toy Story ends in the first slide. It's different voices. Uh, it's. A good little cute movie now. It's, it's now on Disney problem. Plus. It didn't do that great in the box office. Well, so it's on Disney it Plus wasn't now. wasn't able to be shown in foreign markets because there is a, a single gender marriage, which is a large part of the plot. And in a lot of European, a lot of Asian countries, which is usually a large part of Disney's market, they couldn't show the movie. So I think it hurt in that respect. But like I said, I thought I my expectations were low, and it was fairly good. So, so you sat there by yourself, a sixty-plus-year-old man in a theater with animation. I'm watching a Pixar movie. Yes. Uh, You didn't take your grandsons to that? No, no. I watched on Disney. Oh yeah, Disney Plus. You watched. Yeah, and it was fairly enjoyable. Now, these next two are two of the best movies I've seen this year. And the first one is Prey, which is on Hulu, which is a prequel to a series of movies that I just love, and that's the Predator movies. Going back to the original in the 80s with Arnold, Guto the Chapa. Uh, it's the simplest type of pro- uh, plot that you can think of. It's the idea or concept that an alien species comes to uh, America, uh, to Earth to hunt down trophy victims. 
and they always take the brain and the skull and the spinal cord. This is set in 1767, and it's in the Plains Indians with the Apache. And it's the context of, you see, it's a different world, how the Apache Indians live, and they're being picked off slowly by predators. And it actually goes back to uh, an Easter egg in Predator 2, when uh, Danny Glover defeats the Predators given a uh, pistol from 1767. So it kind of fills in the gap there. But it's it's constant action. It's, uh, again, it puts you in a different world, the Plains Indians and how they lived and how they were able to adapt. And, and it's, not, it's not subtitled. It's spoken in modern language, but it is it's very enjoyable. Like I said, a very good action science fiction movie and, and probably the best Predator movie since uh, the original Predator. I have a fondness for Predators, which is uh, what a group of stars, which is basically set on the Predator's planet themselves. And a movie that I really, truly loved directed by the director of Deadpool, was Bullet Train. And really? Yes. That looked like it was totally overhyped with Brad Pitt. Oh, Brad Pitt is just hilarious. There are so many cameos in this. It is a... Uh, it is filmed in real time and a trip from Tokyo to northern Japan. And uh, Brad Pitt is a, a basically... Not a hitman, but he is hired to steal a suitcase by his handler, which was Sandra Bullock, who is repaying him for Lost City. And <laughs> there are just a host of people on the train, and he is reluctant. The best are two brothers from England, one who judges everybody by uh, Thomas the Tank. Either you're a Diesel or you're a Thomas. That's how he reads people. But I don't want to spoil it because there's a host of stars in it that you don't know about. But it has one of those. It is not time linear. It goes back and forth and back and forth. And oh, Chris Nolanized. Huh? Yes, yes. And I just love those type of movies. And it's sharp and witty. It's not a family movie, though, is it? No, 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 no. By no <laughs> means, it is not a family movie, and uh, it's it's the idea or concept is just it, it's again very loose, kind of shaggy dog. Brad Pitt, you know, does not play. He plays like a beaten, wore down, older version of himself, who's neurotic, who has anxiety issues. It's just a fun little movie, and I highly enjoy it. It's one the best movies I've seen this year. Wow, that's high praise. Now, well, now, I have, now, go, you, tell yours. yours now. I have one movie. and event. Yeah, so um, over the years, my wife has always liked real event movies. Like, they take a real event in history, and she loves Apollo 13. Every time that's on, she's got to watch it. She And Ron Howard does a great job of those type of movies. So we were out at an outdoor concert with some friends, and they said, oh, you got to watch 13 Lives. It's about those boys who got trapped in a cave. And I'm like, eh, I know they got out. It's okay. But my wife says, no, let's, let's give it a try. It's done by Ron Howard. It'll be okay. Man, that was really done well. I was really surprised. I am 
BD only had like a 7.8 because it started a little slow, but he really played it, timed it so well, and some of the choices he made and the story. There's so many nuances to that story. I had no idea. I understood how it happened. I remember reading the reports and how they had helped come up with a special plan to get the kids out and. But this really plays it out. And Viggo Mortensen back from Lord of Flies, not Flies, Lord of the Rings, Rings. excuse me. Wow, there's another old reference. He does a great, he's always so believable in any acting job he does. And then Colin Farrell's in it, and he plays this nerd English diver, and he's believable in it. You realize you're getting old when Colin Farrell looks old. Or you know, the people you thought were younger actors. But really worth your time. It is takes a little time. Um... It's on Amazon Prime uh, video. It takes about two hours, but really well done. And I could tell they were making this movie, so they showed plenty of respect for the Taiwan, uh, not Taiwan, Thailand um, people, the way they filmed it, and the Thailand um, people who tried to save these boys. Um, but it was really well done. And I'd say if you're sitting at home and looking for a movie to watch, it's not boring. It's at times, even though I knew how it was going to turn out, it got really intense. And afterwards, I felt like the guys from England who helped save them deserved a, a, to be knighted by the Queen. It was tremendous. And I think, once again, Ron Howard knows how to play that out. So even though you know how it ends, you're still invested to see how it played out. So that's my recommendation of the it's year. Fascinating how Ron Howard has taken the last few movies he's done have been real life events. Ford versus Ferrari, yes. uh, in the heart of the sea. He, he's kind of stuck to real life types of things. And those guys who raced in the um, racing league over in Europe. Yeah, uh, well, uh, with uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Right. Yeah, yeah. He uh, likes the true story situation. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's done a pretty good job, but he's he's also picking ones that. And and like yourself, I knew the the story of this, but some that people don't realize how they end. I mean, true stories, but they're kind of not the major types of things. But right. he's he's again, if we mention Opie, we really will be considered old. <laughs> That's and the old fact that reference his, number ten. His, his daughter is now the big actress, and and doing so well, and and I get, think she's kind of overshadowing him, uh, especially with the Jurassic park movie this time yeah yeah well Ernest, your final few minutes here before we wrap it up all righty i hate to do this i always do passing away somebody but, died again yeah pete Perel <laughs> died uh, the old princeton coach who'd been an assistant with the kings for the last 10 years pete Perel developed what we have heard of as the princeton offense and it was the idea he actually wrote a book the uh, week will take from strong was the idea and the his offense basically uses the the weakness of faster, more talented teams against themselves to score. And you know, everybody remembers the Georgetown game with uh, Ewing in which they you know, lost by one point first round of the playoff. And then two years later when they beat UCLA, who were the defending national champions, uh, in the first round of the playoffs. And it is a guy who coached in a, a league in which offers no athletic scholarships at Princeton and actually developed an offense that, that everybody recognizes. And if you look at the Princeton offense, that's pretty much what the NBA is running these days because what he would do is stick a guy, a big man, at the free throw line 
and have four guys outside the three-point line. And they would run up across around. They would run, set picks for each other, and set free. So when you look at what Golden State has done the last seven years, you're looking at a development of what Pete Carell came up because he didn't have any players over six foot six, uh, what he developed in the Princeton offense. So it's one of the major innovators in, in college and pro basketball and a true Hall of Famer, Pete Carell. Mm. My last words will be about thanks to Serena Williams. Uh, unbelievable career. Uh, the movie showed King Richard what she had to put up early on with her dad, but she still loved her dad, you know, and, and persevered. Um, it was clear early on that she was athletically superior to her, her older sister, and she persevered again, even though she had to lose one to her sister at Wimbledon. Uh, over these years, and she's been out a few years, and when I first saw her come back at Wimbledon, I just looked at her and thought, no, no, don't do this. Don't, you know, it sort of it was tarnishing her her record. But, I, you know, I don't blame her for trying to want to come back. And then she won a match in a Canadian tournament, and she looked really as they say, gassed. She was tired. She's out of shape. And who can blame her at this stage? And she did the classy thing. She said, I'm done. This will be my last U.S. Open, and I'm done. I'm going to retire. And um, So give her a lot of credit for a lot of great years that gave a lot of African-American girls a chance to dream of what, what they could do. And for the most part, she really handled herself with class, and she wants to focus on family, and good for her, and so just appreciate somebody like that in sports. All right. For Ernest Watts, this is Paul Arnold. You've been listening to Part of the Confusion. Um, send us an email if you have a question. Let us know that you're listening. Send it to gobluearnold at gmail.com. That's gobluearnold at gmail.com. And Ernest and I will be back at a future time. So have a good night. And we're out. Actually, we have to be a future time because we can't go back in the past. That's what you said. Yes, well, I'll tell you speaking. <laughs> <laughs>